everybody. Welcome to East West Draftcast, the motherfucking best podcast ever to use the words motherfucking right in the first sentence. Um, <laughs> I'm one of your hosts. My name is Greg. Sorry for the curse words. Uh, we're not a clean podcast. Joining me on the line today, we've got a menage a pod. Jeff McDonald. That's me. The, prod- the prodigal son returns. What's up, dude? I have returned. Um, All right. Oh, I guess you don't care what's up. You just like move. No, I don't. I just, it was just meaningless banter because I want to get to our other guest, ah, Spencer Harris. Uh, Mr. Hedius? <laughs> I just now learned where that came from. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. And we've literally been using the, the Mr. Hedius joke for, it's been years, like probably three or four years at the very least. Multiple years, yeah. Yeah. But uh, with that said, welcome to the, the podcast. Today we're going to. Run through a couple quick segments. Uh, we got. I've got to pick a card. Do you guys have some pick a card lists? Absolutely not. I okay. certainly do not. So we have one pick a card list. <laughs> uh, I want to do some risers and fallers. I got a, a couple of each of those, and I'm sure the other two of you could uh, come up with something if I put a podcast squirt gun to your head. Yep. Um, and after that, we're going to dive into a main topic, and it's a little strange and. You might have to turn off the podcast if you don't like it. Although Jeff, I think, has something to say about that. You cannot turn Jeff? the podcast off. It is, Greg is completely wrong. against the podcast regulations and code of conduct. And now that you've pressed play, you're stuck until it ends. I'm sorry. You're, yeah, you're obligated to listen to it all in one sitting, apparently. Legal bound. Yeah, you can't, you can't pause it. You can't skip forward. I mean, just try. Like, try to even do it. It won't let you. So It's... It's kind of like that law, Double Jeopardy, except Starring cooler. not Ashley Judd. Wasn't Tommy Lee Jones in that? Probably. I, I know that Ashley Judd was the lead. I thought, why did you say not Ashley Judd then? Because it's not that Double Jeopardy. Not that movie, yeah. We're, Different movie. This is East West Draftcast starring Greg oh, Smith. <laughs> starring Greg Smith Judd and Tommy Lee Spencer Harris. <laughs> These are excellently ad-libbed names. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, anyway, so let's let's jump right in. I'm actually going to hold off on the uh, the telling you what that that one main topic is because I don't want you to turn it off before then. Uh, so pick a card. Let's let's just do it. You guys ready to do some pick cards? I'm ready. Let's just do it. Do it to it. All right. Do it. Pick a card. Clone or cower in fear. Uh, What's cower for do again? <laughs> Cower and Fear is an instant for one and two black, and it says target player, or creature's target player controls. It's minus one, minus one, it might be target opponent, but it's like a one-sided mini-wrath. Yep. Or mini-mutilate. It's actually all opponents. Oh. Well, all opponents, so all it's creatures. even yeah. better than two-headed giant. Okay, I know what you're talking about now. So there's um, that card, and you guys know what clone does. Clone yeah. copies a creature. I think I take Cower in Fear. I'm pretty notoriously down on clone, but I think I give it a worse rep than how good it actually is. So I think I just take clone because, like has been mentioned before in the podcast, it's always going to be the best creature on the board. That's true. So why why did you take Cower and Fear, Jeff? Because it's a two for one, two for one can be a two for one. Yeah, or it could be nothing. Can be nothing too. Uh, clone is always something. Or, it's it's instant speed. It's a it's a trick. If nothing else, and it's a pretty sweet trick. You can do some cool stuff in combat with Cower and Fear. Yep. 
that's my answer, and that's what I'm going to say about it. I'd probably take the Cower and Fear based upon the fact that it allows me to outplay my opponents a little bit more, and also because I would rather be in black than in blue in M13. Also, the quote on it is from Nicol Bolas. What does Nicol Bolas have to say about cowering and You fear? will fully understand fear when you discover it is the final thing you put your faith in. <laughs> Nicol Bolas. Ominous. 2013. Uh, does that even make sense? No, not really. I don't okay. know. He's not very good with his grammar. He's <laughs> a dragon. dragon. If, Come on. English Nicol is Bolas, a second language. Yeah. What if he was just like a really terrible public speaker? <laughs> he got really nervous, like talking to his opponents with the planeswalkers. Like... <laughs> and so instead of just talking, he just destroys them. He's like, ah, I'm just gonna squish yeah. you. He used to be a sweat lava. He does sweat lava. <laughs> lava sweat. All right. Uh-huh. All right. So uh, pick a card. The card each of you chose, or Gilded Lotus. Oh. Uh. Clone still Lotus too slow. <laughs> um, I, I what do you say, Jeff? This is yeah my my extreme knowledge on this format will make me say cower in fear. I I really want to take Guild Lotus, but I I know it's got to be wrong. So where do you get with Guild well, Lotus? You already have five mana. Like yeah, what, I mean how many it, cards does it get you to? It doesn't it doesn't do anything. That's kind of why I put it on the list. I kind of wanted to see what you guys thought about, like, what what scenario would you need to play Gilded Lotus? Would it just have to be a big mana format? It would have general? to be cube, yeah. I think. Cube? Yeah. I like it. Casual. Cube, casual, so why, You like it in cube because you can, I don't know, there are untap effects like Voltaiki and there are other stupid shenanigans like you can do with it. Like upheaval, it's insane with upheaval and other such things. I don't know. I but, Fixes your mana in cube. I mean, when there's so many multicolored spells and spells that cost nine mana and Eldrazi spells and stuff, and just and ramping and thirteen you, just doesn't get you anywhere. Ramping you five to eight is actually like in, like it does something in cube. Like there there's a lot. There are yeah. ramp decks that play eight mana spells. That doesn't happen in M13 draft. So you can't imagine like any scenario in M13 draft where you would want to play a Gilded Lotus. Oh, I think that I could play it. Uh, it might be. I, I guess that's my question: is what what would it take? Would you need like a bunch of triple green spells and like two volcanic geysers to want to play it? Or yeah, I, I think I think it might need some X spells. Yeah, like uh, X spells. I don't know. I don't know. Would right. you rather have a, a Thran Dynamo, which is yeah, just four mana, mana tap for, for three colorless? Taps for three colorless. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that'd probably be better just to turn faster. Yeah, I agree. That's much better. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I guess the, the difference is, is if, if, if you do have a situation where you have, like, a Garrick and two Volcanic Geysers and, I don't know, maybe some other, like, double or triple green spell, like two spiders, and I, I could see if, like that one a Gilded Lotus more than a Thran Dynamo just because of the mana issues there. Or if you go in Ballsy and Splashing Volcanic Geysers. There you go. That's... I don't know if that's ballsy as much as it is incorrect most of the time. But, <laughs> but I got a Gilded Lotus! Why would I not do that? <laughs> alright, alright. So yeah, I think I didn't really think that that card would get picked by any of us, but I just wanted to talk about it, because right, I was looking through the spoiler, and I was trying to imagine a scenario where I'd want to play that card, and 
I just I can't really come up with a routinely feasible plan where I, I want a card like that in my deck. I'll tell you what. If you find me a deck where that's a good card in it, I bet I'm going to have a fucking blast playing that deck. That's a good point. But, so, yeah, it's... Like I said, ca- casual and cube is where that card belongs, not in M13. Yeah. So pick a card, uh, Cologne or Cower and Fear or Garrick's Pack Leader. That's a good, that's a good one. Hmm. The general consensus for Pack Leaders is kind of like uh, been toned down a little bit in M13 from past iterations. That's kind of the impression I get is that it's a little bit worse than it was in the last core set, but that it's still pretty damn good. Really good. There's, there's a lot of three power playable green dudes too. There yeah. are three mana three power guys that are running. Well, there were all over there were two mana three power dudes in the last set. That's true. Character. That's true. But uh, that's I, a good I, one. There, there are a lot of red cards that turn it on too, like the boar and like Canyon Minotaur and Mog Flunkies. Yeah, I think I would take the pack leader. Yeah, I think I would too. Okay, so Cologne and Cower and Fear are out for the pack leader. Yeah, done. I think I think I would almost certainly take the pack leader over Cologne. Cower and Fear is a lot closer for me. Hmm. And I, I mean, I like Cologne too, but I, I just think the pack leader is very good. And I, I do like green more than blue as well. I think that's just color preference. Coming just kind out. of enables a never-ending stream of giant green creatures. Yeah. And if you're doing that, you're probably winning. Yes, you are. Okay, so. Garrick's Pack Leader or Searing Spear? Gotta take the efficient removal. Yeah, I'll take Spear too. Yeah. Would you take the Spear over those other two cards as well? Yes. Yeah, probably. Okay, interesting. I don't think I don't think it's that close. I think Searing Spear is a pretty consensus uh, first pick. Yeah, I, I, All right. I don't think it's I mean, that you, you much worse than Lightning Bolt, really, in draft. But I think you could say the same like consensus first pick thing about Garrick's Pack Leader or Cower and Fear or even Clone most of the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I could. I I, I just think that the the efficiency, the re- removal, like it's removal, it's cheap, it's hard to pass. Thank you can splash it; it can kill people. Okay. Well, I, I realized I skipped one of the cards on my list. I kind of wanted to save the Searing Spear for last, but uh, pick a card. Searing Spear or Disciple of Bolas, which is the rare 2-1 for 4. Right. And when he enters enters the battlefield, you sack a creature, and you gain life equal to that creature's power, and you draw that many cards. I had a deck the other night that had three of these cards on this list in it. Wow. Really? Including Bolas, Spear, and, and uh, Gilded Lotus. <laughs> <laughs> you were just talking shit on it and you had it in a deck? I was talking shit on it because I had it in a deck. Oh, that makes sense. So you tried it out and didn't like it? Didn't like it, no. Didn't really get me anywhere. Uh, for me, Disciple seems like too much work for not enough payoff. Oh, what? Disciple's awesome. Is it better than Searing Spear, Spencer? Um, Probably. It's close, though. Really? It's like... I don't know. I think I think like those sort of cards usually in black are kind of designed around sacrificing creatures, drawing cards, and losing life. And then when I actually I kind of read it that way for the first time, and then I read it again, and I realized you gain life. I mean that's so much better. It's like you don't really lose you know the value from the creature you sacrifice because it's like you're gaining life off of it, and you're drawing you know three cards or four cards. And plus there's so many other spells that can um, you know it works so well with exalted. And um, you know mm-hmm. a couple other things like the, the, the rings and stuff that pump your creatures. 
I mean, there's just so much value to be had. Like I, I got to use it once, unfortunately, I didn't get to use it more times, but I did it for, I sacrificed a good creature with it, and it was like a creature that got pumped with Exalted, I don't remember what it was, and I mean, it definitely won me the game, it just, like, I pretty much, you know, vomited my hand out by turn four or five, or whatever it was, and then drew another three or four cards off of it, and it was just, you know, so much more, so much more gas. Yeah, I feel like its impact is actually very similar to that of Garrick's Pack Leader, except instead of drawing like one card at a time, like maybe every other turn, you're drawing yeah, you get it all right a away. bunch of cards all at once, slowly. and you're yeah. gaining some life. So that kind of makes up for the lack of, or for the fact that you have to sacrifice a creature. Does it make up yeah. for the fact that it's a two one versus a four four? Um, uh, well, yeah, it can. Probably. I don't know. I don't like this. I, 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 it's actually. I've played it as well. I had it in a deck a couple weeks ago, and I was pretty impressed. I wasn't sure how good it was going to be. It was one of the situations where I picked it because it was a rare and because I wanted to get a feel for the card. I think I took it over like a, some quality other black creature. It might have just been the Bloodhunter Bat, which is also a solid dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, guys, that games just some life. Um, but I was pretty impressed. I think I would still take a Searing Spear over it in the abstract, because if I do have the Disciple of Bulls in my pile, I would rather have have it knowing that I have a bunch of high-power creatures that I can sacrifice. So if I'm playing green, like if I know I'm playing green and I open up a pack two that is Disciple of Bulls versus Searing Spear, I might take the Disciple in that case. But pick one pack one, I'd probably play it a little bit safer and just take the, the Searing Spear. I, I do think it's It has a lot of synergy, close. too. With, uh, I mean, especially with blue, I mean, you can unsummon it and do it twice. You can do it and then switch a it for their best guy and get super value off it. Super, super yeah. value. There's a lot of ways to kind of go nuts with it. In that draft I was talking about from a couple weeks ago, where I had the disciple, I also had the the bounce beast. The what is it? Primadox. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. And that was pretty sweet. It got to the point where as soon as I cast the Primadox, my opponent was like, okay, well, now I absolutely have to kill Disciple of Bolas, or I'm not winning this game. Right, makes sense. yourself like that. I mean, that's definitely a narrow interaction. It's a rare and an uncommon, but I found that green-black is a pretty good color combination in M13, and so that's something you might be able to put together on occasion. Cool. Um, But, all right, so Spencer, you're taking the Disciple. Jeff, you're taking the Searing Spear. That's correct. Yep. All right, last card. Uh, the cards you chose versus Intrepid Hero, which is the 1-1 one, one white dude that taps to destroy four power or greater creatures. Mm, I'll probably still take the Disciple. Yeah, that's something I have no idea about. Uh, yeah, I'll take the known quantity for me. I'll take the Spear. I feel Intrepid a lot of Hero is like a huge magnet for removal. Like everyone, like as soon as you cast him, people just breaking their backs to try to kill him before he goes online. He's, he's pretty good. He's, he's a lot like Royal Assassin was in previous formats. I don't think he's quite as good as Royal Assassin, which is... I don't know. That could be saying a lot of things, but he's pretty powerful. Oh, but he is very as good fragile. As Royal Assassin. What's that? He's nowhere near as good as Royal Assassin. Yeah, I mean, Royal, I mean but... Royal Assassin effect... has to be one of the best core set limited cards ever. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, one that's been made multiple appearances. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, yeah, that I just mean so the, brutal. The effect is similar enough to the point where I feel like that comparison is valid. Because there is no Royal Assassin in this set, this card kind of fills that role. Yeah. As far as just being this 
this little tiny dude that can just hit, like destroy someone's board. Yeah, I like yeah, I like that it awesome. kind of turns off Exalted. Yeah, it, it too. turns off Exalted. It's really good with the Battleflight Eagle and with the Show of Valor, the white pump spell. Like there, there are a lot of cards in white that make hero a little bit better. Right. So, um, I, yeah, I probably still take Searing Spear over it, but I, I don't think it would necessarily be incorrect to take the Intrepid Hero. I just feel like it's easy enough to remove being a one-one with I don't know, not a whole lot of protection. Like there are a lot of removal spells that take care of that card. Like Pacifism is basically the only one that doesn't work. This is true. I mean, it he's, even he's, dies he's very good. Chandra's Fury, but yeah, I think I think Searing Spear, Intrepid Hero, Disciple, Clone. Like if these were all in a pack together, which isn't really possible because there are so many rares here. Yeah. I, I'd have a hard time making that pick. I think it would probably depend on what else was in the pack, and I don't know. I'd, I'd lean towards the Searing Spear just because, like like Jeff was saying, it's a known quantity. But okay, I don't think I could fault anybody for taking Disciple or Intrepid Hero or even Garrick's Pack Leader. Uh, yeah, I agree. Over over that card so oh, play preference they're, they're all very powerful yeah but. color preference too all right so with that out of the way you guys want to do some risers and fallers sure i'm sure jeff, jeff has a lot to contribute <laughs> i do have something to say jeff's jeff still hasn't been playing much but he did get to bird a draft uh, a couple days ago it sounds like so what what did, what did you see in that draft that might have influenced your opinion of these m13 cards jeffrey uh riser because when i looked at this card when i looked at the spoiler and such i was like wow that card looks terrible was uh archaeomancer hmm that was the most value i've maybe ever seen in a draft (laughs) it was uh ryan hogan was the draft i was birding um all of you if you listen to our podcast you know ryan um, and yeah, it was like just so much value off the Archaeomancer, especially with cards like Switcheroo, um, or, uh, uh, Public Execution, just like really slow value, but some really powerful stuff going on. Definitely requires the right deck for it to be that powerful. Absolutely. And it sounds like, sounds like Ryan had that deck, but. He did, it was sweet. I mean, it's one of those things where it's a riser to me because when I read it, in my head, I was like, this is not a playable card. Hmm. It just didn't seem... Because the, the bonus of like regrowing a card for four mana is not good enough, and then the fact that the body you get is like almost a non-thing. But the other, the other part is Exalted makes any body something, which is cool. I think his, his body's kind of irrelevant, and it's like, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you're not necessarily going to be attacking with him. I mean, especially in blue with no native exalted. He's just kind of, you know, they could have made him a 1-1. He's probably still probably open just as good. Yeah. I mean, obviously you're trying to, like, do tricky things with him and bounce him and get value off your murders and whatnot. So, I don't know. I mean... I yeah. think that maybe at one point they made him like a two one, they get two power for four for four mana. That was just too good. That was just like too good. Yeah, like now you can just trade with a whole bunch of stuff. You can get your card back, trade, and you can kind of be aggressive with it. Yeah, two. It's like two you gotta make easily a two for one. Yeah, that was like 
there's just so much for it. So, I mean, that's definitely a good card, but I, th- I thought it was good coming out of the spoiler, too. Really? I don't know. That It looked bad, but... I there's wanted to draft the deck spells. for it, but it never came together for me. Or at least the one time I tried, I had, like, all the great red and blue spells, and I didn't see a single Archaeomancer. Oh, bummer. But, yeah, somebody else is doing it. They're going pretty early. You're not going to see any. That's a problem. It's, like, infect in early... In early um, Scar's block is kind of only can support one person. Yeah, or the uh, Thatcher Revolt in a more recent Thatcher Revolt set. deck, yeah. It's, it's good. Have you guys ever seen him do it with uh, Mill? Or anyone do Archaeomancer Mill deck? I haven't seen that Mind yet. Sculpt. That's pretty good. I mean, Mind Sculpt costs three, right? But two. with seven, two. Yeah. So it's six mana for 14 cards, six mana for. Well, it's know, eight mana. Eight mana total over oh, two yeah. turns, probably. Oh, yeah. Cast it twice, yeah. That's two turns. It might be three turns, so depending upon, like, if you go turn four Archaeomancer after, like, a turn two or turn three Mind Sculpt. I don't know. It's For me, the mill deck only seems good based off of Vidalkin and Trancers and Jace and the <laughs> Sands of Time. Like, the two rares and Jace is the common a... that is... Yeah, Jace isn't really a mill card. Jace is just an I-win card. Yeah. But, like, Sands of Time and the Entrancers are... Uh, the Entrancer in particular is a card that's just fine on its own, just as kind of a, a plan B of milling and just a one four to clog a, clog up the ground. Yeah. So, you know, um, can I can I really briefly say something about Jace and how that's like terrible card design? I don't know. No. You, you probably won't be the first, but sure, go ahead. Uh, it just how often does somebody like n- not even a draft, but uh, I mean not even draft in draft and but probably constructed. I don't know. Nobody plays the card in constructed anyway. But, but it's like, how often do people not do the mill, the the ten mill thing of it? Like that's the point of the card. Like that's the only thing it does really. It's like you don't draw cards off chase. You're not. I don't know. It's just so rare that you draw. It's always the mill. It just feels like a dumb that, planeswalker. A lot of planeswalkers are like that though. Like the new Liliana is almost always just. Cast it in minus three or right away and kill something. I, I, haven't, yeah. I haven't seen the new Lilian. I haven't played or anything with it, so. She's kind of underwhelming. She's actually, uh, she would be a faller for me in general. I played her in that same draft I was talking about earlier with the Disciple of Bolas, and I think I took her over a public execution, and I think I, I don't want to say that she's, worse than public execution i just don't think there's a tangible difference between those two cards as far as like power level goes in a limited format yeah she's not like amazingly powerful she's fine and limited i mean it's fine to give something you know minus three minus three or whatever but she's not for as far as like planeswalker power level goes mythic rare planeswalker she's she's pretty bad yeah i mean if you compare it to other ones for show specific cards What's oh, that? No, go ahead, Spencer. What were you going to say? I was going to say, do you think they made Jace and kind of figured that in limited it won't be that bad because he's a mythic rare, so like the games will be ruined so infrequently that people won't really care, and then in standard you have 60 cards in your deck, yeah. and like it won't be that big of a deal? I think that is exactly correct. There's Jeff and I talked about this on a podcast a while ago. He talked about how mythic rares, like the unbeatable quote-unquote mythic rares like Jace, are good for limited because when you actually get to play with them and win that way, you personally feel really good. And because they're <laughs> mythic, you don't play them. You don't have to play against them very often. So that I don't think it like, feels good to win with a Jace. You, yeah, yeah, Jace is maybe a corner case. Like, 
But it feels good to win with other planeswalkers, like Elspeth Tyrrell. Did you ever play with her in shards? She felt uh, real good. Yeah, she's pretty awesome planeswalker. Yeah, but it's just like those games are very memorable for the winner, and they're not memorable for the loser. Like they don't remember, like ah, uh, like I lost so terribly against an Elspeth. Like that, that just memory just disappears from their head. And since since it doesn't happen very often, they don't get bitter about it. And so it's like it's generally the lasting effect of a planeswalker on the game of Magic is a positive one in terms. That Elspeth actually took like some skill to use though, because you actually had to make you know a judgment as to whether you could be risky and make the dudes right away, and then try to benefit more later, or whether you just need to like I just need to start plusing her and gain a life right now. And some situations weren't very cut and dry, and it was. You know, you can make the wrong choice and, you know, minus her and lose her the next I, turn or yeah. the right choice. Benefit. Yeah. Like, she wasn't just, like, an auto pay four mana or, like, I think she costs five, but, like, pay four for Jace and then mill you ten. It's like, you cast her and then you kind of have to think about it for a while. Like, what you're going to do, like, what's going to be the most, pay the most dividends. Yeah, she's sweet, though. She's, yeah, she was a well-designed card. She's, yeah, one of my favorite Planeswalkers ever designed. Ever. All right, let's get back to some risers. Uh, what do you guys think about Mark of the Vampire? Card is sweet. Uh, I was, yeah. I, don't know. I was pretty underwhelmed on the spoiler, just thinking like, oh man, four mana creature enchantment. And I mean, I, I allotted the fact that when it sticks, it's going to be good. I just wasn't, I didn't realize how often you'd be able to make that card stick and not get punished for it. Oh yeah, because it makes your, makes your guy, puts him out of pretty much burn range. When you cast it, yeah, yeah, and you're also playing black, which means you're probably less murders coming at you. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, it still is really bad versus passivism versus uh, unsummon. Even sear- if they can searing spear in response, or God forbid, like unsummon. Or did I say unsummon yeah, already? I meant, yeah. I meant like, uh, I guess the one that. Like, Encrust is still bad, but at the same time, that probably means you got at least one swing in and gained some life. Yeah. I, like you say, yeah, you always I, say, Greg, with creature enchantments, if uh, you're playing them cautiously, that you're going to get some value out of them. Yeah. No matter what. That's true. I just, I was surprised that it's, I mean, it's beaten me more times than I would care to say at this point in the format. You know what I mean? How many times? I think right? I... I, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like more times than I can count, where like they've they've landed them like shit. Maybe I should start valuing that card higher, picking it higher because it's it's really wrecking me right now. Yeah, you know? I mean it seems good. Uh, it's no Eldrazi conscription, but no. what is? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you ever read cards originally? Like you read what they do, and then you kind of look at their converted mana cost, and you kind of assemble this picture of like based on what the card does, what it should cost. It's like, I did that yeah. with Mark of the Vampire. I'm like, this card costs four. It's two black and two colorless. And then I was playing in a draft, and I had it in my deck, and I was kind of at four mana out, and I was kind of losing. I was mana screwed. And I only had one swamp. And I was thinking, man, was like, if I just top deck you know, a swamp and the Mark of the Vampire, <laughs> I can get back into it. And I draw the Vampire and look at the casting cost, and it was quite the pleasant surprise. That it's that only it, single black? Right. Single black, yeah. Yeah, it does, it does kind of seem like it should be double black, doesn't it? Yeah, it definitely does. It's like a really someone pointed out. Card. Someone pointed out on Twitter that it doesn't make the creature a vampire, which is kind of a bummer. <laughs> that is kind of weird, huh? Yeah. Flavor they do fail. That on, 
they do that on enchantments and stuff all the time, like that creature, like on Rise from the Grave. That creature is yep. a zombie in addition to its other types. Yep, ghoul but, flesh. Yeah. Oh, well. Aren't there even cards that turn things into vampires? Yeah, like Olivia? Yep, there are plenty. Mark of the Vampire is not one of them. Stupid. Yeah. Dumb. That's like the most flavorful <laughs> thing ever. I guess they're saying Mark of the Vampire, not necessarily like biting you, but just being like, hey, you're powerful because I'm a vampire and I can make shit powerful. I don't know. Maybe they were originally meant to make it a legendary creature, and it was going to be over the vampire clan. His name was just Mark. Mark. <laughs> and they just chopped off clan. Hey, guys, I'm Mark. I'm of the vampire. <laughs> were any of the guys in the Lost Boys named Mark? Uh, Michael. No, I don't think so. uh, nah, I don't know the rest of their names. Corey Haim. I think that was Graham. one of their names. Corey Feldman. Kiefer Sullivan. Kiefer Sullivan. Kiefer. Kiefer. The, the dude from Bill and Ted that was not... Keanu Reeves? Bill. Bill S. Preston? Yeah, <laughs> that's his name. Yeah, I used to know that guy's name. Did, did, I did, too. Uh, did you know they're making uh, another Bill and Ted? Yeah, with him and with Keanu, apparently. Yep. As Bill and Ted? or As, as Bill and Ted, yes. I, yeah. Jesus. No George Carlin, though. What are they, how are they going to do that? That's what I don't know. No Rufus. He's just dead. They might have to get, like... Some of that Tupac hologram technology and just get Rufus in the movie somehow. They should just have and- Genghis Khan replace his part. <laughs> Be like, Genghis Khan, what are you doing here? You guys so who, would be like way too well. <laughs> who, who's the modern corollary to uh, Rufus though? Like, who who would they get? Like Louis C.K. To, Louis C.K. could be the new. I don't Rufus. know. I'm just thinking of comedians that are. Yeah, no, that's that's kind of where I'm going. Yeah. But that could work. Maybe Bobcat Goldswaith. He doesn't. <laughs> he directs movies now, but he doesn't. Oh, uh, you're telling me Bobcat wouldn't jump at the chance to be in Bill and Ted Three? Please. To be the new Rufus. He wouldn't do yeah. it if he had to do the Bobcat voice, though. I think. He no, would. he could just be himself. That's true. That would be great. <laughs> I I would watch that. I would too. I love Bobcat. Who doesn't? Uh, all right, a couple more quick risers for me. Unsummon, like I knew I liked Unsummon, and then this format came around. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if Unsummon's ever been better. It's just it's so efficient and it does so many awesome things. I want like two in every blue deck at least. Pretty tricky. Yeah, that's a card that I feel like uh, lost some love, and I'm not sure why. Like for a while, Unsummons were getting printed and in, in always in sideboards. I, th- I don't know. I think we've learned stuff from recent sets in that efficiency is so important. Yeah, cheap spells. Very, very good. Yeah, it's uh, a really powerful effect, too, for one blue mana. Like, you don't really think about it just because you kind of take Unsummon for granted, but like we just said earlier, it can knock off enchantments and do tricky things with comes into play effects. And bouncing a creature to your hand, I mean, it's like, it's like target player taps six mana again to recast this creature and waits a turn. You can time walk people with it, essentially. Yeah, yeah. If the game ends and your opponent has a spell in their hand, Unsummon essentially was a removal spell, because that spell should have been played, but they didn't get to because you forced them to lose a turn. That's a cool way of looking at it. Yeah, that's true. Alright, I got one more. Goblin Battle Jester. Goblin Battle Jester. It's the 2-2 red guy for 4 mana, which is pretty uninspiring. But when you play a red spell, target creature can't block this turn. I, I still like don't think the, 
I don't think the card is great, but it's impressed me enough to think that, like, I don't know. The the problem is, is like, usually the cards that impress me are the cards that I'm not taking in the draft because I, I don't think they're that valuable, but right. then they go... Then these these same cards come around and, like, will beat me in certain matchups, and I'll be like, wow, maybe I should start thinking about picking that card every once in a while. There was a goblin uh, that did this, right? That was a 1-1 one, one for 1? One? That was every time it attacked, you had to pay one red to make that effect happen. I think it was called Frenzied Goblin. Yeah. I thought there was, a there was, there was another one that wasn't Frenzied Goblin. I don't know. Might be. I mean, you might be right, but... I think you might have had I mean, to pay mana as well for the other one, but it was like pay pay a colorless if you play a red spell, something can't block. Something like that. Uh, I don't know. I, I remember that card being decent, like better than just a 1-1 one, one for 1 that it looked like, so... I can see why this would be better than it looks. It's just it's very good in an aggressive red deck, and the red decks in this format tend to be pretty aggressive with cards like Mog Flunkies and Goblin Arsonists running around. Just to be able to put your opponent on the back foot and then make it so that their best blocker cannot block every turn or even just every other turn is a relatively powerful effect, and I, I underestimated it at first. So, I mean, I, again, I'm not saying this card is like a top three red common. I'm just saying that it's gone up in my evaluation since the beginning of the format. The other thing cards like these can do is the fact that it's a it's an onboard kind of trick that your opponent knows about, but it doesn't necessarily get triggered on your turn. So they might play like it's going to, but you actually can't trigger it, and so you're getting value out of it that way. Make sure opponents play badly, yeah. The one the one caveat with that card is that it Definitely can't do anything against that three-three green hexproof guy. That he's card is sweet. He, he is a riser as well. He's a primal hunt beast. He's just like he's just so. I mean, we've established plenty of times in the past that things with hexproof are just so brutal, especially in limited. They're just. I mean, obviously, they're so hard to deal with. The dumbest do a lot of keyword broken they've things. ever done. You love that, don't you, Jeff? I fucking hate hexproof. <laughs> <laughs> Shroud was too fair, right? Shroud made it was just too good of a like it was just so perfect. I love Shroud. Why? Why would you ruin it? Ugh. So Hexbeast costs four or five. Four. Four, four for your three three. It's a hill giant with hexproof. Yeah, that's pretty insane. Yeah, straight there, hill giant. Yep. Triggers Garrick's pack leader. Sure does. Yeah. Wears creature enchantments very well. <laughs> yeah. Wears Mark of the Vampire like a boss. Jesus. Yeah. I've lost guys, to that combo at least twice. Speaking of Mark of the Vampire, the um, blue unblockable one, the uh, can't escape names escape me right now. Plus two plus Tricks o. of the trade. That's a riser too. Scroll thief. Yeah, it's, scroll thief. Yeah. It's, it's along the lines of Mark of the Vampire for me in that it's a risky card to play, but if you're careful with it, you can definitely sculpt some scenarios where it's just good. And I've definitely lost two creatures with Tricks of the Trade on them before. Mm-hmm. Is there get a creature with with both on them? <laughs> Sounds very risky. That was power magician. That was a card <laughs> that uh, Ryan had in his deck when I birded him, and uh, he, I'm like telling him the things he could do on his turn. I'm like, oh, you could do this because you know his deck was just full of crazy value. It was like you could do this and cast this and this and this. He's like, why don't I just cast this on my guy and attack for the win? It's <laughs> like, oh right, that seems better. <laughs> seems you guys like ever a good plan. Mark of the Vampire on um, Giant Scorpion, turn three and then four. No, it's I haven't, like, I haven't seen that. It's kind of a play that was kind of questionable when I did it, but 
Everyone underestimate the uh, three, four, three, five. Uh, th- three, five. Yeah, vigilance. It's like um, I can't remember any card's name. The the one from the last set that gave your creatures reach, the soulbound one. It's that guy with lifelink and death touch is just like so brutal. It'll just control the game. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty sick. Um, you got any fallers, Spencer? Um, kinda. I have a card that's like. I don't know if I classify it as a faller because I have an instance of it being just absolutely a backbreaker and then several instances of it doing nothing. And it was um, not good card names, apparently. It was the red uncommon 2-2 for 5 that gets steals a card from your opponent's hand. Oh, Mind Claw Shaman. Mind Claw Shaman? Yeah. Like I had one instance of being Mind Claw Shaman and with three cards in hand, and he took my... Um, man, I'm burnt out today. My brain farting. The Mind... the him to Torok card, and uh, oh, mine or not? Yeah, it's an easy card to remember. Torak, you wish. Him to Torak, you guys got it. And he just mine rotted my last two, and it was like he gets a two. He pays pays five, gets a two two, and makes me discard three cards. And then it's like the very next game, like sideboard out some of my mine rots, and he casts it, and it just like gets nothing. It's just a total whiff. You know, I have six cards in hand, yeah. and or five cards in hand, and it does nothing. It's five minute two two. And you can only really cast it when your opponent's tapped out. So that you don't have to fear like them casting the instant in response. Yeah. If, I mean, if they get a sorcery, they get a sorcery, whatever. But I've been pretty underwhelmed by that card in general. I think it, it's more of a faller. It's more of a do nothing. It's like 33% of the time you're gonna get something pretty good. You're gonna be able to, you know, divination, draw two cards, or sign in blood, and then 66% of the time you're just gonna whiff. Yeah. I mean, if there are enough good enchantments that are removal and enough good creatures in this format that oftentimes, even if your opponent has like two cards in hand, you're not going to have a target in there. Yeah. I've been pretty disappointed with that card. I did run it once and I, I didn't whiff, but I, when I had to cast it on a turn when my opponent had one card in hand and all of his mana available and he's like, Oh, I have a Volcanicizer. So you're definitely not going to steal that from me. (laughs) It's like, okay, great. Yeah. But I I mean, I get forced it forced my opponent to use it, which I guess is okay, but... Not good Yeah, I've, I've been pretty unimpressed with that card. Just a 2-2 two, two for 5 is... It's kind of like the the quandary of the Archaeomancer, the 1-2 for 4. Right. Like, is the body really worth it? Like, you have to, you you have to make the ability yeah. work for you. Yeah. Like, as opposed to, like, Agent of Bolas, the 1-3 for 2, the blue guy. Mm-hmm. Like, at the, at the very least, like, you can be okay with a 1-3 for 2 most of the time. True. So. The thing about the Archaeomancer compared to the Mind Claw Shaman is that uh, you get to build your deck around that, where the Shaman, it depends on your opponent's deck, you know? Yeah, yeah you're you going to know exactly how good it's going to be. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd take most things over it. Most good playable red cards and most other cards over it. And it's like, I think it's kind of borderline playable. Definitely good out of sideboard, though. Right. Against the right deck, it could be very, very good. Um Speaking of Agent of Bolas and two drops, I have a two a two mana card that I do not like playing as much as I thought I would, and that's Farseek. Mm. Like I understand that mana fixing and mana ramp are both good things, but honestly, I think I'd rather just be playing the creature on turn two ninety percent of the time I've played this format. Yeah, I think that was a. Uh card thrown into this set for constructed purposes. Uh, or for yeah, but I mean, Return of Ravica. That's what I'm saying, because the Shocklands yeah. are coming back. So, Do you really think that people are going to play Farseek in standard decks? Yes. 
Really? Did they originally? Didn't they? Didn't they? Did they not? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, dude. Like, it seems like a pretty bad card. Bad card is a rampant growth that gets a dual land. Yeah, but I mean, a rampant growth was already fixing your mana. So you're but just, like, fixing them. it fixes a... it even better! I know. Five-color just... ramp. It's coming back. I don't know. Does it, does it say non-forest card? Well, it's it, that's what forest, it does. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't say non-forest. It says, go get a plains, island, swamp, or mountain. So, obviously, you can get something, a dual land that makes green? Yep. Yes. Okay. I don't know. I, don't, I just think in M13 Limited, I'd much rather be casting a bear on turn two than uh, Farseek for the most part. If I mean, certain decks are going to want the ramp, and certain decks are going to want the fixing to the point where it, it fills a role, but... I definitely don't think it's an auto-include green card, as I might have thought previous have to playing think, format. Maybe because splashing is less prevalent with, you know, fireball costing two red and, you know, murder costing two black, that the green spells that fix your mana are as powerful because you can't splash those really awesome removal spells? It's, yeah, possible. I mean, you can still splash Searing Spear, you can still splash Pacifism, Public Execution... I mean, there, there are still cards worth splashing. I just, it's not, I don't but know. Hypothetically, if we had if we had Fireball, as in the real Fireball, and Doomblade instead of uh, the cards we do have, do you think Farseek would be a lot better? Probably. Probably better. Yeah, I think that's... Not necessarily a lot better, but... It would be slightly better. It wouldn't necessarily be a faller for you right now. True. Yeah, maybe not. That's yeah, There's no real way of knowing that without having played the format. I guess ultimately what I'm trying to say is that it feels like a lot of the games I've played in M13 Limited have come down to just curving out well and having creatures early and often and having just a few kind of support spells to push them through. I've had success with some more spell-based decks, particularly that blue-red one, blue red deck I alluded to earlier, but I really want to be playing creatures, particularly when I'm playing green. Like, I want a Deadly Recluse or... Uh, the the wolf, the two two wolf for two that pumps up on turn two. I want to be playing those cards and not far seeks. Yeah. Have general. you guys tried the the wolf deck yet? Just try to draft as many wolves as possible. I've seen Hogan do it. How many did you get? I saw him get, or I heard about him getting five. I've, I've, yeah. <laughs> which seems That's pretty not ridiculous. Yeah. I've had two in my deck and felt really good about it. Just two wolves and. One, just one game in, in three rounds, getting them both on the table at the same time, feels oh, pretty yeah. dirty. Feels good. Yeah. Muscle sliver. So, yeah, muscle Except sliver. it doesn't indeed. help your other slivers, but it doesn't help their slivers either. Yeah. It doesn't help your other wolves. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you guys have any other risers or fallers? Or um, can we get to the, the, topic. the mysterious main topic? The topic. Do not shut off the podcast. Yeah, you're not allowed. I actually want to start this segment off with a quote from George R. R. Martin. Oh, yeah. Let's just talk about author, George R. R. Martin. <laughs> the author of the Game of Thrones books. Uh, he says, <laughs> quote, I do get invitations all the time to play actual fantasy football, by the way, but I get the feeling that I'd like it too much. Yeah. So that's George R. R. Martin talking about fantasy football. And it's and that's and that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about fantasy football and kind of correlating it to Magic the Gathering and specifically Magic the Gathering Limited. Uh, so I urge you to bear with us and do, really just don't turn off the podcast 
podcast right away and try and see like where we're going with this before you decide whether or not you want to listen to it. So this is uh, this is what I want to pitch it as. This is fantasy football for magic players. We're going to if you don't know anything about fantasy football, stay tuned. You're going to learn about it and you're going to understand it because we're going to we're going to use magic references for you to get it. You should also know that fantasy sports don't really have anything to do with real sports. It's just about drafting, which you obviously like to do. Because you're listening to East West Draftcast. This is true. This is true. So uh, let, let's jump into this topic, guys. Um, All right. So Do you want to kind of lead the discussion on this, Jeff? I would love to. Uh, I have... I have some things I want to I want to talk about uh, with fantasy football and magic. So these are two pretty different uh, uh, games, I guess. Uh, fantasy football is I don't know a pseudo game, but um, I don't think they're different. But go on. But I mean, on the on the outside of of it, it, it they seem pretty right. damn different. Um, but. Let's talk about why they're similar, like what the general ways that they're sim, what the general ways that they are similar. Um, first of all, you're drafting in both, at least if we're talking about drafting magic, which is all we talk about, <laughs> right? Sometimes we talk about Bill and Ted. That, that's <laughs> true. We should probably do more of that. But uh, yeah, but I mean, they're both drafted, so. I mean, right away, if you magic players out there, your ears should be perking up. I like to draft, so that's good. Uh, there are different formats of draft. There are. Uh, there's, like, auction or standard snake draft. Uh, yep. I don't know there's... any others, but Greg probably does. Well, there are, like, uh, salary cap leagues, and I'll talk about those in a minute. And then there are also different league types like different types of leagues which each for each different type of league the draft is going to be drastically different like some some leagues you start two quarterbacks some leagues you use defensive players like there there's all sorts of like different variations on the game yeah which is very similar to magic like different formats you, yeah you may not like playing avison restored limited but you do like playing m13 limited you know and there are reasons why you like one versus the other and you can kind of if if you really want to like get into fantasy football, you can find a way of playing that you'll enjoy. Yeah, and you could check out websites like thefakefootball.com, right, Craig? <laughs> yeah, thanks for the plug. Uh, I, I do some fantasy football writing for that blog in particular, um, and I've actually just started doing a series of get this draft videos for fantasy football. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. I'm really enjoying it actually. Cool. Um. So you mentioned uh, Avacyn Restored format versus M13. What's the Avacyn Restored format versus M13 in fantasy football, Greg? Like, what's the the worst draft format ever? Yeah. <laughs> well, well no, I actually don't want to bag on Avacyn Restored that much. Let's call it the cold snap of sure. You can fantasy bag, football. bag on a fantasy football format that you think is stupid. Uh, that's a good question. Probably touchdown only leagues. I just yeah. What does that even mean? Just, it means all you, the only way you score points is when your players get touchdowns. What a dumb, dumb thing. All right. Yeah. So to contrast to most normal fantasy formats, you also get points when your players accrue yardage, like when they catch the ball, 
uh, when they run the ball, when they throw the ball, like the distance that those plays go, you get points for that as well. And so you're not just only getting in on the scoring. Yeah. And again, this is like, that's the touchdown only leagues are ones that I personally don't like, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you, the listener, if you're interested in getting into fantasy football, that you wouldn't prefer that format. Um, it's, it's definitely a little, seems a lot simpler. But. Yeah, it is. It's very simple. So, uh, but yeah, go, go on, Jeff. Uh, man, quarterbacks must be insane in those leagues. Uh, yeah, they probably they, have less points per touchdown. Oh, yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, Probably a lot less, too. So maybe we should kind of run through the general like way a fantasy sport works. Okay, do it. So at the beginning, before the season starts, like before the football season starts, and that is going to happen at the beginning of September, the first Thursday after Labor Day is the, is the opening game, uh, you have a draft. And you and your buddies get together either in person or online using a website like Yahoo or ESPN or like there are a myriad of other websites where you can draft fantasy sports. Preferably uh, in person, though, because that's way more fun. Yeah, in person is a lot more fun. You get to like joke with each other, order pizza and, you know, like generally make fun of each other's picks. You have to, Usually you someone have to gets order way pizza, too drunk. actually. Yeah, pizza is mandatory. Um, Just like this. And, and you... You start, you, like, let's say you're doing a snake draft, and this is the most typical way to draft a fantasy sport. Uh, if you've ever done a rotisserie draft in Magic, it is exactly the same, except instead of picking Magic cards, like pick one, round one, I'm going to take Black Lotus. You say pick one, round one, I'm going to take Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback of the uh, Green Bay Packers, who is kind of this year's consensus overall best quarterback. Um, and... It goes in snake fashion, so there's a there's a wheel. So if you have the first pick in the first round, you have the last pick of the second round, and then the first pick of the third round. So it kind of, if you're looking at the draft board as a grid, it kind of serpentines downward. Uh, if you if your picks start going uh, from left to right, and I hope that me just describing that, and I, my hands were like waving around and I was pointing in uh-huh. those different directions. Uh, so clearly that's not helping anybody, but I, <laughs> well, how about this? You're all nerds, most likely. You probably played Settlers of Catan, so uh, oh, so that's a good one. Settling good in the beginning there. of the game is the same way. You you go around. You go to first goes, and then you go around the board, and then once the last person goes, they get to go again. It goes back the other way. The point is yeah. to try to make sure everybody gets a, a fair shake in terms of where they pick on that. The last pick isn't just inherently worse than the first pick, mm-hmm. right? Because if you if the second you, pick is sooner, if you had the first pick and you got to pick first at the beginning of every round, your team should automatically be more powerful than other teams. So right, and, and above all, I think one thing I want to stress as far as correlating this to Magic goes is you may not really like sports or like football in particular, but you don't necessarily have to think of it in terms of like you're drafting football players, it, would it make any difference to you? Like if instead of the guy's name was Aaron Rodgers, it was Ned Stark or, you, huh. you know, like. Or Goblin Ringleader. Right. <laughs> and, and the thing is, is you just you just don't know how the season's going to play out yet. It's like reading a book. It's like playing a game of magic because there is a, a random element of, of chance because you select all these players before the season starts. And then you have to manage that team just like you would manage a deck in a sideboard going through a draft in that fashion. Um, and then one thing, if you guys aren't sold on fantasy football already, real quick, is if you're kind of like a borderline football fan, if you like 
don't really have a favorite team yet. Maybe where you live doesn't really have any team that's close by that you can get your home team, you know, advantage going for. Watching football, and this is true for fantasy football much more so than fantasy baseball or basketball or hockey or other sports. If you have a fantasy football team and you kind of like watching football and you draft your team for the first time and start watching football, it will be one million times more interesting to you. You will love watching your fantasy players perform and you will hate watching your opponent's fantasy players perform well as well. And it just makes it so much more interesting. I will say, uh, you guys know, the listeners might not, I'm not a sports fan. I don't watch sports uh, pretty much at all. Um, But I started playing fantasy football two years ago. And what Spencer just said about enjoying watching your players, even if you don't like watching football, if you start playing fantasy football and a game is on and a player of yours is in it, it's just like all of a sudden it's something I want to watch, even though I don't even like football. Oh, much better. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) Very emotional, too. It makes games that would normally be completely inconsequential to you very relevant or at least very entertaining Mm -hmm. because you're bound to either have a player playing in the game or be playing against one of the players in the game. So you have something to root for, root against. And uh, again, I I, I would imagine that if you're not a sports fan, you're not looking to go out and start watching a bunch of sports. But you never know. In certain social situations, you get roped into like hanging out at somebody's house and like everyone's watching a football game or I mean, or baseball or basketball game in, in those particular sports. And having at least some passing interest in the game goes a long way towards at least involving yourself with the other people who might be really into the game or just getting some some personal enjoyment out of being there and watching it or having to watch it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, can we get into the more detailed corollaries between Magic and fantasy football, Greg? We can try. I <laughs> this this might be kind of tough, but I'm gonna do my best. All right. So I want to talk about strategy in fantasy football and Magic and how they're similar. Okay. So in Magic, there are strategies that you you uh, you use to when you would when you're drafting. You draft a deck of cards that work together. Um, and what I'm wondering is, like, we do archetypes in Magic, and we, we draft specific colors. Um, like, can, there's control, combo, and aggro are the, the primary archetypes in Magic. Um, is there a way to to talk about strategy in fantasy football that, that makes sense with, like, archetypes or, or, like, you know, major strategies during the draft, maybe? That Well, there, there are a couple ways I think you can look at it. One of which is instead of maybe looking at uh, aggro versus control and all that, because honestly, fantasy football isn't that complicated. Fantasy football is about scoring the most points as often as possible, like every week on a week to week basis. Um, So I think a better corollary is to look at it in terms of like compared to mana curve, where you're going to want some one drops, some two drops, some three drops, some four drops, et cetera. Right. Except instead of, wanting all these different spots along the mana curve, you want to maximize your value between all the different positions that you have to fill out on your roster. And a typical fantasy football roster requires one quarterback, two running backs, two or three wide receivers, a tight end, uh, a defense slash special teams, a kicker, and then often one, uh, what they they call a flex spot, which is a, a roster spot where you can use either a, uh, like a wide receiver, a running back, or a tight end. 
Right. Um, I've, ta- I've talked about some leagues that are two quarterback leagues or, uh, I, I mean, there are some leagues where you can start three running backs, but ultimately it all comes down to the same idea of you have this roster to fill out and you want to kind of in general create a very balanced roster with high point scorers at all points along that roster. Um, so and your team will also, will also have some sort of bench, which you can look at as a sideboard. So, or, or kind of like replacement or backup players. Right. But so, yeah. So I, I want to correlate the positions to casting costs since you brought it up. Cause it'll be fun. <laughs> uh, so we'll say wide receivers and running backs are like curve spots, like two through four. Maybe. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate, actually. Um, and so, like, you, a quarterback would like be like a six or a seven drop, right? Yeah, because you only need one of them, but you want that one to be at least good enough compared to the other six drops or other quarterbacks in your league. Right. Um, you want him to be a lot of bombs, bombs, throwing bombs, yeah. throwing bombs. There you go. <laughs> so my contribution. Like, <laughs> so like a lot of the. Uh, like a lot of a lot of the time when you look at like draft rankings for fantasy football, you'll see uh, quote unquote fantasy experts break their positions down into tiers as well. And by tiers, I mean like the top three running backs are all pretty close in value. So if you get one, you're not necessarily if, if you get the guy who's second on the list, you might not necessarily be that much worse off than if you had the first guy. Right. Um, like they're all pretty close in value. Uh, and so a lot of the times. You can also look at it like that. Like, I want to get at least one top-tier running back, one top-tier wide receiver, and one of, like, maybe a first- or second-tier quarterback. And, like, you can kind of correlate to a mana curve that way as well. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That, that I like that. Now, if you want to talk about kind of niche strategies or I, something like let, that. Let me, let, me, let me just pose you some questions in that way. Okay. Sure. Give me well first let's start with talk about synergy versus raw power, drafting synergy versus raw power. Spencer, what do you think about this? Um synergy versus raw power are kind of equated to two kind of drafting guys who are more stable point scorers versus the guys who are more volatile. I think like the good um personification of the latter would be um Michael Vick in in terms of magic, it's like, uh, you know, when you're drafting for raw power, you're essentially just drafting the best card you can because it's the most powerful and it may not necessarily fit with your mana curve. It's going to be more risky in one way or another. And the synergy is going to kind of be better fit for, for you. And the reason why I say that the um, raw power version is like Michael Vick is because, he, I mean, he's just a guy who could go nuts each week and be the highest point scorer in fantasy football overall and the highest point scorer in any given week no matter what. Or he could just, you know, get hurt and do nothing for you and just be terrible. And there's plenty of times when you're going to be in your draft and it's going to be, you know, whenever around Michael Vick's going now, like four or five or six, and you'll be kind of thinking to yourself, like, I'd really take this risk for this raw power guy and put it out there on the line and just, you know, go for the glory. Or I could take this other player who's going to better fit my team because I don't have, I already have a quarterback or, uh, you know, there's a really good value at this other position right now, but he's not going to be, you know, as potent as Michael Vick. And you know, that would be the example of you know the more syner- synergistic pick. So could you like come up with a magic card that would kind of fit that description from any of the recent um, magic limited formats? Uh, for um, like compared to Michael Vick, like someone who's like a little risky, but like when he works, he's awesome. 
I'd say something like um, Craterfoot Behemoth is like that, because if you can get there, it's just, just going to win you the game pretty much outright. There's no coming back from that. But, uh, you know, he's just does not, he's not, obviously not splashable, costs a shit ton of mana. But, uh, you know, if he works, if Michael Vick works, it's over. I mean, it's, you're going to win. Right. So to, to compare that to a different green rare in Avacyn Restored, something like a Wolfier Silverheart, which is much easily, much more easily cast and probably just as powerful, to be honest. <laughs> That's like, not a good corollary. I mean, well, no, what I'm saying is, like, that would be more like the... Aaron Rodgers. The, well, yeah, the Aaron Rodgers, who is going to put up a ton of points and is pretty reliable, or even one of the, the top running backs, like a Ray Rice or an Arian Foster, like someone who's going to produce weekly and is probably going to play most of their games and, and just be for you all the time, as opposed to someone like Vic who could either just have a stinker of a game or just get hurt. Right. Yeah. Now, now I also, uh, so, like, talking about drafting raw power, I, I think that there might be a corollary to be made with... Um, during the draft, taking players that actually will be sitting on your bench, but they're just so late in the draft that you feel like you should take them. You know what I mean? You want to gamble on the upside. It's almost like, like rare drafting, like right? Hate drafting. Or hate drafting. Or, yep, that happens a lot in fantasy football. And, and it, it is a little more important in football because because it's a contact sport and because players get injured so easily, it's never a bad thing to have a good bench or to correlate that to magic, a good sideboard. Plus, uh, you can trade them. Yeah, trading happens yeah. in fantasy football, so that's another thing. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really, really good trade. correlation. Is uh, um, hate drafting because you can hate draft in every sense of the word in uh, in both formats, in magic and fantasy football. Yeah, but the payoff in fantasy football is a lot more, I don't know, tangible, I guess. Yeah, because you can. I mean, you don't have a color in your deck. Obviously, you can always play the guys. You have the only way you wouldn't you'd be able to hate draft and not play him is if you already had you were maxed out in that position. Yeah, but I mean the problem ends up being like maybe you take like all the good wide receivers and you end up with no good running backs. It's like kind of a like yeah you you drafted like maybe the best player each time you could, but you ended up with no running backs. So you have like four great wide receivers and only three places to put them and and one good running back with two spots. You know. Yep. It's kind of like having too many four drops in your deck or something like that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think the another kind of good way to look at the power level argument is is this year in fantasy football, there are two tight ends who are kind of head and shoulders above the rest just because they had such they had these monster seasons last year, like the best. Two of the best tight end seasons ever recorded in football. Two of the best receiving seasons ever recorded. And yeah, that's the whole point is that these guys were playing a position that is not normally known for putting up as many points as wide receivers. And these guys outscored a lot of the upper echelon wide receivers in the league. And coming into this season, there's hype around those guys that makes them first or second round picks, depending upon where you are in the draft. Uh Uh, And that's typically not the case. Like prior to this season, a tight end would probably never go before the third round. Right. And, it was almost always like considered a bad strategy to take a tight end that early because they're so similar in value for the most part. This year is very different where they have these all man just because re- these two guys have kind of stepped up and just receiving in general is up. Like there's more passing in the league nowadays that Rob Gronkowski and Jimmy Graham of the saints are 
a little more valuable than has ever like tight ends have ever been. And therefore, yeah. like, do you risk going all in on them based upon the seasons they had last year and hoping that you get that shallow position, like outstanding player, or do Stupid. you do you play the the safe card and, and wait to find a value tight end later in the draft and use your early picks on running backs, quarterbacks, and wide receivers. I've got a I've got a good connection to magic here. Okay, go ahead. It's like the mill deck. It's like it's always there and it's always bad. Like don't take tight ends early because it's stupid. Like why would you do that? That's a terrible strategy. But like sometimes like in triple Ravnica maybe, it's like, hmm <laughs> this seems more real than it once was. And and it can work out. But so the Jimmy, thing is, Jimmy Graham is like the uh, glimpse of the unthinkable. That's his correlation. Glimpse of the unthinkable, yeah. <laughs> glimpse of the Jimmy Graham. <laughs> yeah. And Rob Gronkowski is Sazdek, or whatever that guy's name was. I don't Sazdick. 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 I don't know. Skazdick. Sensadick. This is this is good podcasting, guys. Yeah, we are degrading into dick jokes. Dick. So, so, yeah, so what, I guess, besides taking, like, maybe a tight end early, like, seems pretty dumb, but some people might do it sometimes, are there other kind of silly strategies that people try to do? Uh, wide receiver in the first round is one of them. I mean, there's always one wide receiver that goes in the first round. Sometimes there's two, but for the most part, like, the first round of a fantasy football draft is going to be running backs in, like, a standard league. Right. Maybe quarterbacks and, if there are two QB spots. Yeah, if there are two QBs, you can make the justification to take a quarterback early. Uh, but even still, like, probably seven out of the 10 or 12 picks in the first round will almost always be running backs, and then the rest will be filled in with the one top wide receiver and maybe the two top quarterbacks in a 10-team league. Right. All right. Um, what about... In Magic, sometimes we draft multicolor. Sometimes we have multicolor sets, say like Shards of Alara, where we had to really focus on taking fixing and powerful spells and get the right balance for the deck to work out. Is there a corollary to be made here with fantasy football? It's kind of like the same way with uh, drafting the players that you need versus the players that you want. Like if you rated each fantasy football player 1 through 10, you have an option in, in any given round to take you know, eight or a nine player, but you already have several players at the same position, and you really need to fill out to fill out your positions. You need to take a player at a different position that's like, you know, a five or a six. And so it's like, do you take that thing you need, you know, the mana fixing, over the thing that you want, which is you know the the, the better player who's probably going to outscore you, but you just can't you know roster that many of that players. Mm-hmm. And. Like to that point, that's where the real skill in a fantasy football draft comes out is being able to know where you're drafting and know kind of the general valuation of players, uh, like the, where they go on average in a draft, uh, often called ADP, average draft position, and being able to maximize the, like I guess the standard deviation or, or like the the value from one player at a position to the next level down you know like to the next player that you could take uh this is kind of hard to describe just talking about it and i'm sorry if, if i'm losing you here listeners but 
Uh, let me see if I can come up with an example. It's kind of like, like trying it's to like chess. You got to think ahead, right? Yeah, you got to think ahead. You got to think I can take this guy now, or I can skip this position because I think I can fill like it, quarterback is the best example of this. Uh, in a ten-team league it, that only starts one quarterback, there are only going to be ten quarterbacks starting in any given week, whereas uh, there are thirty NFL quarterbacks starting every week that there's there, that there aren't bye weeks. So there are at least like 20 quarterbacks going every week, only 10 of them are going to be started in fantasy, right? Right, so so there's right. always going to be, like, you're never not going to have a quarterback that can play, but they just might not be great. Right, whereas if you're starting three wide receivers, there are maybe, like, there's less of a relationship between, like, number of playable receivers versus total number of receivers being used in the NFL on a week-to-week basis. Mm-hmm. Same with running backs. And, and running backs is, is the big one. That's where the kind of the point, the fantasy point scarcity comes up the most because there are only a few running backs who are, one, just elite athletes, and two, play on an offense that supports them. Like, they need to have a good offensive line in front of them to block for them. They need to have at good least a decent quarter. Yeah, at least a decent quarterback or passing game so that teams don't just load up against the run on defense. And there's also just like this plague of running back by committee that's kind of taken over the NFL where teams don't have a clear-cut number one running back anymore. They don't have like one starter. They'll have two or three guys that they use every week. And so you have to be able to like find the value in those those platoons. Mm -hmm. And... With all that in mind, like running backs tend to be the most valuable players in fantasy football because the drop off from like the top three running backs to like, I guess the last echelon of start. So like, let's say you start two running backs and that there are 10 teams in the league. That's 20 starting running backs every week. Like the difference between the top running back and the 20th best running back is pretty large. Whereas the difference between the top quarterback and the 10th best quarterback is relatively small. The delta uh, just, between each tiers of running backs is, is the greatest. Yes. Uh, and that that just has to do with the way football works, and that's part of understanding like how to how to shape your draft. So in the, that's why so many people take a running back with their first pick, because they want to make sure that they get one of those elite running backs producing at that spot, because they know that they can pick up a, a wide receiver, a quarterback, a tight end in the later rounds. Mm-hmm. So that was like a really long roundabout way of describing, I think, what you were talking about. But right. forgive me if I if I rambled there. That's all right. Um, I don't know. That's most of the general stuff I had to talk about about fantasy football. Um, we could get more detailed by talking about players. Well, I would say that we should maybe keep it a little more general for now. And if people like this topic uh i'd like to hear about it either in the comments or like on our website like give us some feedback and let us know and, and maybe we can revisit this in a week or two um yeah maybe I, I would also i would also recommend that if you're interested in getting into fantasy football just check out some of the uh like websites we talked about whether it be the one that i write for or even just your, your big websites like yahoo or espn there's there are a lot of good ones out there um Razball is also a very good fantasy blog i'll, I'll plug them too wow what do you think spencer is there anything else like you think we should there that we forgot to mention as far as fantasy as it correlates to magic 
I just think in general, fantasy football is, is a good thing for, for Magic players. I mean, not any tangible benefit to it, but if you like playing Magic, if you like playing limited Magic and drafting, I mean, you're probably going to like drafting fantasy football, even if you're not the biggest sports fan. Just, you know, there's something, you know, intangibly fun about assembling, you know, your army of cards or your team of football players and then, you know, battling them against your opponents and matching wits and developing your draft strategies and researching, you know, different combos and different plays and different values you can have. And it's something that I think pretty much every limited, serious limited magic draft player who really likes to draft magic cards would enjoy drafting fantasy football, even if you don't watch the games, just to manage your team and make the right plays and see the value. Um, I think it's, it's a very enjoyable thing. And if you've never really considered it or give, gave it a try, you should at least put your toe in the water and get in a free league. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would also say don't like jump into a league with a bunch of uber competitive people. If you're a first time player, try to find some friends who are interested in doing it and either like together create a league, or if you don't have enough people, just join some free public league on Yahoo because those tend to be pretty casual and it's not like you have to put money on it. Um, although people often do, yep. uh, makes it more interesting yeah, if you do. It sure does. I mean, it definitely gives you a little bit more rooting interest when, when there's money on the line or even something else, like some other tangible bet you can make, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, I, I did want to bring up auction drafting, too. I kind of forgot about that. We, we glossed over it. But auction draft is pretty sweet. Like, have, have we, we've talked about auction... Magic like drafting. Magic auction. Yeah, we auction have. magic drafting, haven't we? We have. Uh, if, if they didn't listen to that podcast... Go find it. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Forgot about doing that. Object match drafting is fun. Yeah, it's yeah. Super so, fun. and and that's uh, the way that works is you you go into the draft without necessarily a pick order, but you're given a budget. You're given I think what is in football. I think it's typically two hundred like imaginary dollars to spend on your players, and instead of like Spencer picking first and saying okay I pick Arian Foster the running back on the Houston Texans he'll be, he'd be like I'll nominate Arian Foster or any other player for 10 bucks. And then it's, it's a, it's actually just an auction where you say someone else goes, okay, well I'll bid 20 and somebody else go, I'll bid 21. And the benefits of an auction draft versus a snake draft is that as long as you're willing to spend enough of those imaginary dollars, you can have any player in the league you want. Uh, so if you're maybe a casual, if you're a magic player, who's like a casual football fan who likes, one team or like one specific player a lot, and you really want to make sure you get that person on your team. Uh, I would recommend an auction draft. It's a lot more skill intensive having to manage uh, a budget like that and having to at least think about acquiring literally every player that gets nominated because you have, you have the opportunity to. Can I say if you are a fan of football and you play magic and you don't play fantasy football, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. You're totally missing out. Yeah, this is, like, the thing for you, so fucking do it. Yeah. I mean, just the best part of every fantasy season is just the draft. Just oh, getting yeah. together and – because it's all, it's all positive at that point. Like, you look at your team afterwards and like, yeah, my team is awesome. I love this team. <laughs> and then three weeks into the season, you might be thinking, man, my team fucking sucks. What the <laughs> hell was I doing on draft day? Well, you say like, every coming year out when, the dra- I, something we when haven't I walk even... in, it's a nice day of the year. It's the most fun. It's better than Christmas. <laughs> Yeah. Something, well, you, we all know about you and Christmas, Spencer. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't like Christmas. <laughs> Jew. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, no, no offense to any Jewish listeners. Spencer actually is Jewish. Only offense to Spencer. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm only culturally here. Yeah, we know, we know. Um, God, I lost my train of thought. Oh, we have, we didn't even talk about trading. Like, if your magic player likes to trade, holy crap! Like, there's another aspect of oh, this yeah. that you're gonna love. So you'd be like, and that's that's where the snake draft is a little bit better because. You, you might have just missed out on that one player that you really wanted, and you like, if you really want him, you can try to trade for him. You can try to swing, like, big blockbuster deals where you give up three of your players and your opponent gives up four of their players, and you can try and outsmart people that way, too. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, trading's awesome. Yep. I think the the last thing I want to say about this is that if, maybe, if you're, if you're a Magic player and if you're, like, come on. Well, I don't know why we keep saying if. You're listening to a magic <laughs> podcast. You you are a magic player. Uh, if you're not, what but, the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that would be so weird. <laughs> I would love to, like, meet someone who listened to our podcast who did not play magic. But anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm, dig- I'm digressing here. Let's say you, you don't really like football, but you like baseball or hockey or some other sport a little bit more. I would encourage you to try one of those fantasy sports out as well. But with that said... Fantasy football is definitely the easiest fantasy sport to get into because the scoring rules are the simplest and because this, it, it requires the least amount of management. Like The games only happen on three days a week, typically. Uh, there's There are all, always a lot of games on Sunday. There's always a Monday night game, and then every once in a while there's a Thursday night game. Uh, and with all that like taken into account, like you only really need to set your lineup once a week. You don't necessarily have to make any transactions during the week, although you should if you want to win. Should. Yeah. Uh, but like the commitment level to fantasy football is a lot less like than that of fantasy baseball, which is a six month extravaganza that involves <laughs> games on every single day of the week. That's so, painful. Yeah. And yeah, if you uh, I mean? if you're in a fantasy football league with your you know if you're already friends with people, like if you're not in a league with random people, getting together on a Sunday and watching games, especially with your opponent. Is, is a great time too. Great makes for a lot of uh, horrible, horrible enemies that you can make out of your friends. <laughs> yeah, the trash talk gets fun, and I mean, who doesn't like to get together on a Sunday and like barbecue or order barbecue, pizza or something, drink yeah. some beer, hang out? Yeah, it's, like you don't have to make it all about the fantasy, and who knows, maybe you can even get a draft in, like a magic draft, while you're watching football. Now that would be awesome. Yeah, best day ever. <laughs> serious. Football uh, football on Sundays is a surprisingly social activity. Yeah, because, I mean, you don't really have to sit there and watch all of the game. Yeah. Like, there are so many damn commercials. You can get up and, I don't know, go check on the food on the barbecue or on the, in the oven or whatever, or just sit and have a chat with somebody while the game's on. Yeah. So, especially with, like, the advent of DVR on TVs where you can rewind and, like, rewatch anything that's relevant. Totally. Or so, the uh, NFL channel where you just watch every single game. Oh, yeah. The the Red Zone channel. That Red Zone channel. That shit is ridiculous. Yeah. But... We won't get into that. Uh, I, I think with with all that under wraps, we should close out the show. What do you say, Jefferson and Spencerson? Sounds good to me. Close it out. All right. Well, thanks for listening to East West Draftcast, everybody. If you want to email us, you can send it to eastwestdraftcast at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Facebook if you search for www.facebook.com backslash EW Draftcast. I'm on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at EW Draftcast. Jeff, what is your Twitter handle? At Jeff E-W-D-C. Stands for East-West Draftcast. What about you, Spencer? 
Uh, my Twitter handle is Spence Harris, no R, just Spence Harris. And if you want to follow me, you should, because I don't have many followers, and I'm trying to get more to Twitter, so I'd appreciate it. I saw you tweet a couple things today and yesterday, and one of them I, I thought was very funny. I can't remember what it was, though. Was it about jazz musicians all being named, all being named Marcellus? <laughs> that was it. I wonder how many of them look like a bitch. <laughs> they happen to I all was, be I, related, Spencer. Seriously, I'd have thought of that. I mean, it was like listening to this jazz radio station, and it was like the song that just played was by Marcellus somebody. The song that was coming up was by a different Marcellus. It's Wynton Marcellus <laughs> and his two sons. I forget their names. But. but it's their first name, right? No, that's their last name. I think it was the guy who was listening to was the first name. Oh, that's weird then. <laughs> Apparently they are all named Marcellus. You are a jazz musician, so I'll take your word for it. I'm not. I was in high school. It's been a while. Used to be. Jeff was very proficient at playing the butt trumpet. I butt was. Butt trumpet. Only with my butt. <laughs> yeah, I think... What did I not talk about? We have a website, eastwestrefcast.com, and you can check us out on YouTube. I posted a video there a couple weeks ago with like an M13 draft. It's pretty dated, and I don't know. I, I hope to be doing more of those soon, but honestly, I'm having a little bit more fun with the, the fantasy football draft videos lately. And, and like I said, if you want to check those out, you can find those at thefakefootball.com. I would appreciate any uh, cross-traffic you guys want to give me over there. That would be sweet. Hey, Greg, when you do those, do you do actual leagues or do you do mock drafts? I do actual leagues. I don't like the mock software, or I don't like the mock drafts because... Half the people just quit after three rounds. Yeah, that's what I was wondering when I saw you first did that. And even like even in the the real leagues, people still like don't draft the whole time. Like oftentimes they'll check out for the last five rounds or something, or they'll just get their starting lineup and then quit. And it's kind of frustrating. Risky it run. Yeah, it is. Um, again, another re- reason why if you are going to do a fantasy draft, you should do it in person with your amigos. Do it live. Talk some shit. Yeah, but. I think that's all I've got. I don't. I don't think I left anything out there. Uh, any final words from the two of you? Just wrote the book on that topic. Uh, get ready for fucking Return to Ravnica. I know it's not even that close, but holy shit! I'm oh, still I can't excited. wait. <laughs> it's gonna be awesome. See you guys right, at guys. E San Jose. Hell yeah! Yeah, we will be. This oh, is I'll see Spencer because of... he'll be sitting yeah. right next to me. Same team. Team Mac Muscles. Right. Mac Muscles with mustache. Yeah, don't forget oh, the mustache. I'm going to Alright, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Take it easy. Draftcast out. Please. Are back for Monday night.